Hi, I'm Benjamin Berry, awards editor at Music City Drive-In and host of Our Freebies podcast. Today I'm joined with one of my absolute favourites in the awards pundit um, kind of group of people, whatever you want to call it. I'm here with Mr. Eric Anderson. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well. How are you, Benji? I'm um, not too bad, mate. It has been, I was just thinking, it's been the absolute longest time since I last spoke to you. It really has been, yeah. It's been good over the year. Um, So kind of going right in right into it how have you kind of felt over like the first kind of half of this year in terms of just movies in general and kind of the content we've been given well i think we for 2022 have gotten back to what we would call normal in in movie going after 2020 and 2021 kind of teetered into you know theatrical oblivion so we've had you know, real box office hits, the kind that we used to have both, you know, summer tentpole, big stuff like Top Gun, and then indie movies that really, really break out like everything everywhere all at once. Huge, biggest hit for A24 ever. That's the kind of stuff that we used to have every year, every couple of years that we could really rely on. And, and this industry has, has become less reliable year to year in the pandemic really kind of, uh, highlighted and emphasized that so it's been it's been a great first six months both in terms of what movies are what awards potential are festivals everything's kind of not as it was but it feels like some semblance of what we know it's been it's been incredible and i don't know whether maybe come the end of the year i'll feel differently about it maybe maybe we're just getting a bit too hyped in terms of it's just so nice to see everything kind of back to the way it was but we've been really blessed with films like everything everything all at once and northman um top of maverick like these aren't just like fun films they're like legitimately like great films in the first six months yeah it's uh i'm 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 happy for it i'm glad for it uh you know i'm i'm always willing and able to navigate whatever the the industry becomes but you know it is it is great to have the theatrical experience i know it's not uh uh, something that's able to be done for everybody so i definitely understand and sympathize with that are you kind of because obviously i think we all had this, we couldn't help it. We had this fear throughout the pandemic that come, you know, like the end of the pandemic, whatever you whatever you call that, that mm-hmm. maybe, because obviously we went through this stage where everything was literally just going to streaming and it almost felt like the norm. And like streaming was already kind of becoming this like big bad wolf of cinema as it was, but then the pandemic came about and it for a while it felt like it destroyed similar. So are you kind of relieved like I am to see everything kind of, back to exactly how it was people still want to go out there now movies making a billion dollars films that are surpassing expectations at the box office the new minions film just fucking blew my mind and made 108 million in its first weekend mm-hmm. i'm i'm a little on both sides of the fence about it because yes i am i am glad for for the return to that and the pandemic did look like it was just really expediting the advancement of streaming and the death of the theatrical experience in a, in a major way. And it really showed too how many studios were able to manage that uh, more so than others. And when you're a giant conglomerate that has also multiple networks, it's not gonna be difficult for you to go, okay, well, we're gonna put this movie and this movie and this movie to streaming because we have three networks that we can put it on. 
not everybody has that, especially if you are an indie distributor, you just don't, you don't even have that as an option. So if you don't have your theatrical experience, then you have video on demand and that be, that's a little less, it's not as popular as it should be. You would think that it would be the way that like pay-per-view fights are, you know, you bring a dozen people over and, and you pay one price and you can all watch the movie. But that was happening at the time of the pandemic when you couldn't have people over. So it was this constant fight and this battle for indies to be able to maintain relevance and and for, for big studios and big movies to, to be able to navigate that as successfully as they could. But I mean, on, on the one negative side is that during the pandemic, at least from a, a critic's perspective, so many things were then available via links and, and streaming for reviews and for, for visibility. And that was really, really good for disabled critics and, and uh, autoimmune critics, which we have plenty of, but the, it was like, they couldn't wait for the pandemic to be like officially called over or for the first major box office hit to pull all of those things and say, well, no, we're only doing, you know, theatrical press screenings and that's it in person only. And that, that really, that was unfortunate because it's one of the things that revealed how easy it is for studios and networks to be able to give access to press uh, and to a wider range of press uh, mm-hmm. versus wanting to keep it in a very, a much smaller circle. Well, yeah, it's interesting you say that because during the whole pandemic, like it was hard. It's hard for, I mean, you've made, you've been there to get into kind of press screens, everything like when you're, when you're first into it, it is so kind of hard to get into and it's, 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 it's shit. But I remember for like the first like time ever, I was finally being granted these things. And it's because at the end of the day, they had the only way they were doing these press screenings was through streaming. So it got to the point where they're like, well, we might as well just let more people than we usually would see it because fuck it because like i got like i got like five last year and that was like for me that was like insane like i'd be like mm-hmm. if i got one the year before <laughs> and it, that, that that's what i mean is that it just kind of it really exposed that they they did that because they kind of had to they had to create some visibility uh and they were they, they would take it away just as quickly and yeah. it's unfortunate it's too bad because you know this landscape needs more voices, not fewer. Well, it was shitty for me because I remember like it was great getting all the streamers, but then when things started coming back to how they were, it was like, right, no, nothing for you. All back yeah. to streamers. Back, back to the back of the line for you, Benji. <laughs> mate, I'm not even at the fucking back of the line. I've got like security guard <laughs> pushing me away. Like, no, mate, you're you're not in this club yet. Um, <laughs> well, you know, it's um, so kind of with like so with last year when we saw films like the father minari promising young woman always indie tiny indie films getting in at the oscars obviously for a very particular reason do you feel like that it was almost maybe a, like kind of i wouldn't say a blessing in disguise because i'm wrong with it but do you think maybe the pandemic and some of the oscars almost a good thing because it's kind of opened their eyes up to these indie films like i still don't think if the pandemic happened we would have seen coda win best picture I think Coda winning Best Picture was something that happened outside of the tam- pandemic itself, itself because that was when we had in-person things and events. And the reason why that film won is because the cast was uh, 
everyone loved the cast and they were everywhere. If they had not been able to be at, you know, 85 in-person events during a two month period, it wouldn't have happened. Uh, but it was that, it was the one year of the year you're talking about the nomad land, the father promising young woman year, that was the height of the Oscars pandemic. You know, they moved the event entirely. Uh, and and that was the, the films that rose were by and large independent films because that's all that was available. The studios held their tent poles and their big movies uh, and in hopes of, you know, the pandemic being six months or one year or, you know, not not too far off to, to, to push them into the next period. So that's, you know, we got one of the most indie Oscars ever as a result. It was, it was insane. Like, I, I, I don't think there was any movie. I feel like the only big, it wasn't even big budget, but I guess the only kind of the most mainstream thing there was like Charles Chicago seven. And that wasn't even, that wasn't like a super big budget movie. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a big budget movie, but it was a Netflix film, so it was only in theaters for a week, and then it was on Netflix. Yeah, exactly. Kind of going back to Coda quickly. I know, I know that in this day and age of film and award season, it all moves so quickly. But I'm just curious to hear it from you because I have a really hard time with Coda winning Best Picture. There's nothing wrong with it on a fundamental level. I just don't know how. I feel like a dick saying it. I don't know how deserving I find it. And not only that though, but from the Oscars perspective, I it's a bit of a weird film to win Best Picture. It was an extremely weird film to win Best Picture, uh, but you know every year is its own animal, and regardless of of who the new voters are or whatever it is, people are voting with definitely with their hearts and what makes what they like, what makes them feel good, but you know also based on what whatever else is happening in the world and in their own bubble and universe of it um if, if if things are politically aggressive and ugly and societally ugly and aggressive you you know you've got two responses you can go with the story and the film that makes you feel good so that you can kind of have a moment of reprieve from everything that's happening around or you can go harder and you know, something like Moonlight wins instead of La La Land in the year of Donald Trump winning the presidency. And that there was no way that wasn't in part a response to that. So there's no way that I think CODA isn't a response to a need for relief and happiness uh, in a pandemic world. But it's still, it's still absolutely shocking that it's a winner because if like this time last year when coda was first coming out i was like showing importance of the future and i knew coda wasn't even nominated for best picture i'd be like oh well okay fair enough that's not too surprising so the fact it goes on to and the thing is it's not even like it built that momentum over a long period of time it just i remember even like when nominations came out like everyone had it at, like number eight to get nominated and then i don't even it only know... got it only got three nominations i know it's fucking mad and then uh, it was only I, I don't even know what happened like it all of a sudden began this momentum to win PGA and then ever, and then we were like mm, I don't know and then it happened and then I remember just being like wait what the what the fuck is going on here 
I, I guarantee, I 100% guarantee it would never have happened in the pandemic season. Literally. It, it, it was absolutely because this cast was so charming and people, they genuinely love the movie. I'm not dismissing people's love of the movie. Oh, no doubt. But the cast won everyone over. The idea won everybody over. That's another thing that the Academy does also like to do. And they like they like when they feel that they can choose representation that hasn't happened before. Yeah. Um, and that's on the wide spectrum of good and bad and everything in between. Um, you know, 12 Years a Slave was the first movie from a Black director to win Best Picture and... Moonlight was the first LGBTQ themed film to win Best Picture. So it just kind of you, you have these moments that that look at and, and tackle issues or feel uh, representatively important. And CODA certainly did that. There wasn't anything like CODA in terms of deaf representation uh, on a mainstream level at all. Mm, um, no and no so it it did that in a world of kind of wokeisms and everything not trying to say it's a bad thing by any means but it's almost kind of crazy to me that coda was the first kind of movie to deal with deaf dead the deaf community in this sort of way obviously we had sound of metal but um i think coda's probably the most kind of i don't know how to put it most humanistic one maybe i guess well i mean obviously with marley matlin in this and in children of a lesser god where she won best actress that's amazing that's a, a direct yes a direct connection but yes sound of metal did lay the groundwork for coda because sound of metal great film no deaf people in it they were playing people that were mm -hmm. going deaf um paul racy was a, a coda though so he he was the bridge between that. Um, and I think that's, everything is timing. Everything is timing. Yeah. Coda couldn't happen, couldn't have happened the year before Sound of Metal. It only could happen the year after. It's just, it's timing. It's perfect. I mean, with Best Picture, I think we've come to learn a lot of it is timing and luck is, is kind of what it comes down to, really. I mean, and you could... You could have literally like the number one best amazing film ever, but even even that cannot always be good enough, if you know what I mean. This is why Netflix keeps losing or ends up in second place because they, they back the film that is definitely going to be the critical favorite, but it will not have the consensus that it takes to win Best Picture because the voting is different for Best Picture. I almost find it hilarious with netflix like they've had so they've come so close so many times and then this year they get beaten by apple tv <laughs> they they get they got beat at the emmys by hulu for the first series win and then they got beat by apple for the first best picture win for a streamer so yeah they're and it's not here here's the thing though i will defend about netflix is that they pick the films and the stories that that are really good and that they really love they're just very serious and generally 
I don't want to say humorless, but they often it's you're you're watching more with respect than with passion or like love because you don't have you don't have much of a of an avenue into it you're just sort of watching and and respecting what you're watching power of the dog or roma these are fantastic films but they're going to feel a certain amount of distance from the viewer i agree um you kind of spoke about and i want to come it's just i just want to settle something right now everyone talks about parasite being like the number one best picture winner of the past decade and i'm not i'm not trying to take away from parasite or like that like i often go back to watching the best director and best picture when it just as soon as like they open the envelope and they call that name you know when you get that like real feel-good emotional rush like you can't beat it and albeit it didn't really get this moment because of the mishap i've always said that moonlight's best picture win has got to be the best and the most kind of amazing and outstanding in my opinion. You know, obviously, I mean, I might be partial, but yes, um, that is, that would be mine as well, but it is, it is just as representative as Parasite was, you know, it was, I mean, you have to look at where the second half of the 2010s have taken us in terms of, of what wins. And, and, and why they win. Uh, they are absolutely the types of movies that have never won before. And what I think that does, whether it's Moonlight or Parasite or Coda, and I'll just leave Green Book out of it because I still think it's a total anomaly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's representative of what the expanded lineup of Oscar voters looks like which has doubled since 2015. And it, it really does showcase that this, the kind of stories that were not really told very much in the previous 85 years uh, are getting that representation. So I think there's a lot of catch up that's happening in the last decade with the kind of movies that win Best Picture. And I'm absolutely okay with that in in the all good, bad, and in between. Because, you know, the, the Oscars as a as a group of people is constantly reforming itself and reimagining itself. So you've got new voters and you have people that are like, you know, this is the kind of movie that never would have won and should have. And that's what I want to win. Can you please i i know that it's been spoken about loads but i guess you're the best person to go to it please explain to me genuinely how like what was going on at the time like what's the process behind how the academy that gave a film like moonlight and then the next year parasite best picture then also give green book best picture like it makes no sense to me so i mean again i i feel like what was going on so we went from we went moonlight the shape of water which is and I will let straight, you say now, people forget Shape of Water is quite a unique Best Picture winner as well. Extremely. It is a fantasy film about a, opening on a woman masturbating and then fucking a fish halfway through the movie. <laughs> Literally. That's, that's the movie. Talk about a movie that never, ever would have had a chance to win before. Ever. So we went Moonlight, Shape of Water, Green Book, then Parasite, Nomadland, coda clearly 
when you're looking at those lists, the outliers are Green Book and Coda in terms of like critical, uh, I don't want to say respect, but like how they were, how they were viewed. But each, each of those still holds a place in, in, in its own year that sort of feels like a response to the previous. I feel like Green Book's win was a very reactionary win to the first two years of that expanded uh, academy base and those really awesome but very different wins yeah because you can't you can't get more different than you know moonlight shape of water and green book but that's okay because i don't want to say that's that's the type of movie that wins best picture i don't want to say that we used to be able to say that pretty easily because the, the 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 scope was really limited the scope is completely wide open now so you can almost never say that's not a best picture type of winning film. You can't say that anymore. And the last 10 years have showed that in the best way possible. Just going kind of right into the, going right into the 2022 and the um, film festival circuit, kind of how, how's that been for you? Have you kind of been to any of them? I have not yet. I'll tell you, Ride will be my first. And that is in just under two months. Um, so we've had the Cannes Film Festival and we've had Berlin. So I think we've seen a few things from that, that we're, that we're going to see Cannes, especially Cannes has always been, uh, such a great kickstart of so many campaigns, especially for international feature film. So I think we'll, I think we'll see some of that. Is there anything coming, any coming out of Cannes that you really expect will be a big well, I mean, I kind of look at it a few different ways. One, I'll look at the studio. Because mo- most most things that come out of can are going to be smaller studios. They're not going to be your Paramount Pictures. Elvis premiered there, but that's not a can film. So you look at Neon, which has Broker and Triangle of Sadness, which won the Palm. So they will neon will be looking at at those films and be, and like deciding what they're going to push the most you know what's going to hit telluride toronto and and all the other fall festivals before they release them in like you know likely november or something like that so i think i think those will do well on the fall festival circuit um I think A24 has some good things behind it. They have After Sun with Paul Mescal. They have the Lucas Don't film Close. I think there's I think there's a lot of possibility. I thought it was a really good can in terms of movies that the rest of the audience and festivals will get to see in the fall. I think there's a lot that came out of there. I've kind of made like a, a list of films that have already debuted at premiere or, or already come out. And I just kind of want to get your thoughts on all of them because obviously okay, whenever something comes out, it's really easy to be reaction. Like, oh my God, like this is like going to be a award. I'm going to win best picture. But it's like me never learn from my lessons. Like it never pans out like that, does it? <laughs> and I don't know why that is. Like we, we do it all the time. And I think it's just because love and passion can get away, can get in the way of just using our brains a little bit. 
Um, so kind of start off with, and I really hope that you're on the same you're on the same side as I am because everyone's comparing this movie to Coda, and for some reason now suddenly can win Best Picture, and that's Cha Cha Real Smooth. Hmm. Here's the thing about that. When Coda did come out, this was still in the early stages of Apple being like a film company. And this was their this was their main only horse. And it wasn't even that until post nominations. Because like we said, it only got three. But everything that happened for that film happened after nominations. And then Apple kind of realized what they potentially had. They have they have a lot more this year and they have big stuff. Could you give me an example of some of the things? I mean, especially I think the, the one that stands out the most is the Martin Scorsese uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Shit, I didn't know that they had that. Yeah. What? That's, oh, decent. So that's, kind of a, that's kind of a big deal. That's a massive. So it's, it's massive. It's really massive. <laughs> and now, now you say that, I'm almost rethinking it because I'm thinking surely they're going to ship all the focus to that. Again, in in a different year, different season, something like Cha Cha might be might be a bigger player. I don't I don't really see it being able to be this year. Uh, not when not when Apple has so many other things right in front of them. No, well, yeah, um, that's crazy. Do you know how much how much they must have brought that off of? I think. Well, I mean, I know the Irishman for Netflix was two hundred million, so I think. I don't have in front of it. I think the the killers of the flower moon budget is still in like the one seventy five range. So I must it's have brought still... it for like, I mean, if I had to guess, it'd probably be at least like two fifty million. Well, no, I mean they they didn't they didn't like it wasn't like made and then uh, funded and bought by Apple. They they they're backing it. I am really curious to know kind of why this is happening obviously to be honest i'm kind of happy that i get to hit that that um, that i'm hearing about that but at the same time mark scorsese who's like you know one of those massive advocates like cinema and the cinema experience why are two of his films going to streamers and two separate streaming services because nobody's going to give him 200 million dollars and wasn't that than a streamer well, that's yeah. thing, the Irishman, they were the only people that, like, they were the, Netflix, the only people that went to Scorsese, right, we'll give you this money and we'll fucking leave you alone. Yeah. It, I think I think when you're at a certain age as a filmmaker, if, if you want to make the thing that you want to make, you have to go to the people that are going to allow you to make it. And, you know, whether it's Netflix or Apple, that theatrical experience is not going to be the same, obviously, if it was Warner Brothers, but he gets to make the movie. So you, you, you know, as a filmmaker, you, you then decide, do I even get to make it at all? Or do I get to at least make it? It's everything that I want to make without budget constraints. And because streamers are bigger and wider than they used to be, there's a good chance that more people will see it. Why do you think streamers are wanting to pay so much then to buy just individual films? Do you reckon it's because they're just trying to build their brand, maybe? Yeah, and they have the money. Netflix and Apple have more money, well, in theory, um, than a regular studio does. So Didn't during the pandemic, Netflix won't have more money than Disney. 
I don't know if it was more money than Disney, but again, they're they're in a state of flux and struggle right now where they're, you know, their quarterly numbers are dropping. They're firing people and and laying off people to hit the numbers that they need to 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 hit. And I think that's largely because they spent quite a few years with so much money and just spending, spending, spending without the, the, the maybe the, the five-year plan to look like how that's going to come back to them. So you did, you did like Netflix just expect there to be this upwards trend of constant subscribers that did they never think there'll be a point where it peaks and maybe goes like this a little bit. No, I, and I, I think if you're any type of business, small or large, that is your, that has to always be your trajectory. It always has to be, here's an improvement from last year or last quarter. It always has to be that. Uh, and, and again, pandemic certainly increased that. But I think what it did is, is create a false sense of growth because once, once people were outside of their house, you know, those numbers are not going to increase at the same rate as they would have during a lockdown and during being stuck in your house. Even still, I find this, because especially considering we've got Netflix, it's not like Netflix are lacking in the content. They've got last seasons of Stranger Things and Better School Soul coming out. It's, I don't want to say it's a mystery, but I don't know, maybe it is like the fact that they're struggling all of a sudden. Like, it seems weird to say that, like Netflix are like struggling for, for, for business. I would say they have too much content. Oh, really? Yes. I think they have too much content, whether it's film or television. They have so much that people can't really decide what to focus on. And, you know, they'll spend $200 million on a red notice. The, you know, Ryan Reynolds, Gal Gadot. Oh, that was ridiculous. Don't even. <laughs> it's, it's $200 million. And they're going to do two more of them. Do you remember, it's just like. Do you remember when No Time to Die, like no one really knew what was going on with that. And I think they offered to buy it for like 350 million or something. And it's like, look, I get it, but just chill out with it. Mm-hmm. And then they bought Knives Out, two sequels for $450 million. But I don't understand at all why they would do that because they refused to buy um, No Time to Die for because basically they, I think, rumor had it that apparently the producers of that came back to them and went, all right, we'll give it to you, but for more. I don't get why they would turn down Bond, but then they'd go with Knives Out, which is obviously, I'm not trying to say the first one wasn't successful, but it doesn't come close to 007. No, it doesn't. I, I, and, and they're not going to they're not going to have the demonstrable box office to back up a spend like that. And I think that's what makes people sort of second guess and, and uncomfortable about Netflix or, you know, even Apple there, you, you don't have, you don't have something tangible, like minions made $108 million last weekend. You, you just don't have that. And those, those headlines mean a lot. They speak a lot. They speak to popularity. They speak to money. They speak to where people are spending. You, you just don't, you don't get that with, with streamers at all in any way. No, you don't. Um, I could sit all day here and talk to you about with streamers, but thus we, we must move along. Um, yes. So 
I think this is probably like the one movie out of all of the early kind of maybe awards films to come out early this year that I think me and you can at least be certain will get a fair share of nominations. Uh, it kind of, no one's heard about it. Then it kind of came out and instantly like swept the world. And um, Eric, everything everyone wants is just fucking amazing. It is. And it's, um, it's kind of great because it's going to be, so I do think it will be, but it's going to be the the type of success story that everyone loves to see, you know, and a very early release in the year that is able to maintain buzz throughout the season as the fall festivals and fall movies, you know, rise and fall <laughs> alongside it. And, and it will, it will stay there. It's, and, the funny thing about that is that you can really only have like one of those a year. You can't keep two indie movies released in March <laughs> afloat for an entire year to, to get to Oscar season. So once, once people, whether it is pundits or you know culture writers or whatever it is, once they see and they can read the tea leaves that that something like this is possible and and is and is going to happen, then you know they back it and they get in there. Uh, but they're going to have to do it all season long. Um, it'll have to be like like Get Out, you know, was a late February release, massive hit, uh, but it needed all of those year end plaudits that it got you know critics awards and everything that it got to keep it in the conversation that's going to have to happen with this as well i think it will and I, i'm all, i'm almost saying it will to be honest yeah. like I, I i i feel a bit risky saying oh, i'm certain of it but like at least with awards pun like critic circles they're they're, they're not going to forget about this yeah i mean i have it i have it predicted top five in a lot of places um, i mean so, i know yeah. i know a few people who and I hate to be like this naive and just be like, yeah, it's great. So it's going to happen. But obviously it's really early and like, I'm not trying to even trying to say, I think it will, but I don't think it's out of the question to say it could win best picture. Well, like I said, a few minutes ago, you can't say no to almost anything winning best picture if it's in the conversation. So I can't say no to it. Um, I'm not super keen on it happening, but, I can't say no to it. I guess not, no, but like I, it it will have to carry like a certain like mo like momentum, and it will have to have like a certain um, I don't know what the word is. Like I guess like a like a drive or like a meaning behind it winning Best Picture. And I guess in this case, it will just be like you know this like love and this craving people have for like original cinema. I think, I think for something like that the the sort of it's time kind of ideology would benefit like Michelle Yeoh and and Kiu Kwan more than it would the film itself uh, because she's never been nominated but probably got a pretty close with Crouching Tiger uh, and he is somebody who left the business because he didn't feel there was any space for him in it. So his comeback narrative is extraordinary and absolutely the kind of thing that the Academy loves, loves. 
Yeah. So kind of going into now the hopeful foreign um foreign film to get into best picture uh where do you stand with decision to leave you know it's funny because decision to leave is a movie film and so in maybe a different year you'd be like what there no there's this isn't getting in there's no chance this is ridiculous and then you have drive my car last year which was Janice and Sideshow films. Absolutely zero Oscar campaign experience. Zero at all. And that film was 100% buoyed by its critics' wins. It won LA, New York, National Society of Film Critics. And it needed to win all of those to be like, this is undeniable. You, you, you can't. And this represents an even... A, a next step in Korean cinema, in East Asian cinema, you you have to, you kind of have to have that, just like you know the indie film that gets to be the big breakout. You kind of you kind of have to be the one to be able to get there. So I I think that it's in the running, but I think something like Broker, or yeah, Broker probably has a, a better chance would you say because i've spoken to a lot you kind of say decision to leave is like the more more like pure film and brokers more of like kind of like a just a feel-good foreign film almost but i think in the era of the politics that are happening in the united states right now something like broker will speak to people differently than something like decision to leave I mean, which, maybe. Is a, which is a pretty traditional, you know, yeah, yeah, cop thriller, femme fatale kind of storyline. And then Broker is abandoned babies in boxes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there is just, there is more of a hook to that uh, than, than decision to leave. And I guess there's also kind of Song Kang Ho to it, who's kind of riding off of Parasite, and now there's buzz for him to maybe get in. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not just saying that because I have him predicted, but you know, the love for him post Parasite, I feel, has to be very real. Uh, and I'm sure he was very close to getting in. He just kind of suffered from a little bit of is he lead or is he supporting? Mm-hmm, and I'm yeah. sure he had votes in both. Well, wait. Obviously, I'm so bad for getting sidetracked, but at the same time, it makes for an interesting conversation with Song Kang Ho for Parasite. Do you legitimately think it was close because he didn't get any precursors at all? And the only conclusion I can come down to that is the same reason maybe he didn't get the Oscars. Like, was he not campaigned enough to point where people knew where to vote for him in? He was clearly the single person from the film that had the best chance. And at the most events and doing the most. Um, and, you know, I mean, the film won the SAG cast award. That was pretty huge. Huge. But I do I do think that there was a struggle, uh, I, I'm sure, for voters, and not just Academy voters, but like anybody, any awards body or even critics body that was sort of trying to figure out where he was going to be. Because there are certain critics groups that will put a, a true supporting performance in lead and, and give them the win. Um, so they don't really have too much of a 
issue with that, but that's the only time when vote splitting for me is kind of real. <laughs> yeah. When you have one person splitting their own vote amongst two different categories and neither is enough to get you into a top five. This just keeps reminding me, this reminds me of, do you, well, it reminds me of two things. One, do you think this happened to Katrina Bell Fisher? How the hell did she fucking miss? And how did Judy Dench get in over her? You know, it's <laughs> it's funny because one of the Oscars' favorite things to do is to take somebody that has gotten all of the precursors and then they miss right at the end. And that happened to Belf. And then you've got on the other side of that, somebody who got none of them and then they suddenly get in. And that happened at Dench. And I think at least with this specific case, you have an absolute newcomer to any type of awards consideration versus an absolute veteran. And in Dench's favor, I think was definitely that she closes the film with Absolutely. that monologue. Absolutely. And that and and as great as Balf is in the film, and she has that great scene with Dornan in the bus, which, you know, that's her, well, would have been her clip. <laughs> um, Dench closes the film, and that's that's where you're going to leave it, and that's the impact. I get what you're saying, but even still, the fact that Judy Dench is, like, just barely to be seen in that film and she has that final scene, but that's kind of it, and it goes on for 15 seconds. I don't, I, it, I, I just don't get it. It's one of those, like, you know, those, like, you know, sometimes you just can't, there's no point even trying to justify things because it would just make you more confused. It's like that. I just, I don't get where, what voters are thinking when they were doing that. It is because it's not um, super consistent. You can't say, well, it's not an if then every single year. It mm -hmm. just doesn't, it's not always the case. You know, predicting Dench to get in and Balf to miss is just not something that a normal person <laughs> would do. Mm -hmm. um, it would have been more likely that they both got in Literally. rather than, than neither, than, than just, just Dench. So it's, I don't know, you do more learning from nominations when they come out almost than you do when you're like predicting in the moment it's the, the 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 i guess what we call in the united states and i can't believe i'm using a sports metaphor it's called monday morning quarterbacking yeah, yeah. where you get to make all of the right decisions after everything has happened that's just like one of my favorite parts of all the award season it's almost it like is the best part it's, why it's, why did this happen yeah and then it's really it's always interesting to kind of use hindsight and even though no one's predicting it, it's almost kind of it's really interesting how we all eventually go oh yeah like kind of makes sense when you think about it it's like with jesse buckley no one's predicting her for sporting actress but now i look back on it and i'm like fucking makes perfect sense why she got in it does there's there's such a um it's like a it was like iris the Kate Winslet, Judy Dench, funnily enough, uh, playing each other at different periods. Uh, 
So it, 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 it tracked to that very much. Oh, I love that nomination though. That Jesse Buckley nomination was so good. It's oh, such a good nomination. I think, I think the whole world nearly had like a double heart attack when it was like the first category and then it was Jesse Buckley first. And then we were just getting over that. And then it was Judy Dench. And then it was like, wait, did Katrina Belf just miss it with Judy Dench? That was like, that's my favorite thing about when they go alphabetical, because mm -hmm. you can have your list that is alphabetical and you know once they pass a name shit's going crazy i love that i love that i love that but it's all it's almost like the most heartbreaking thing i think this year oh, i mean there are a few that really some though to be fair i mean i will be honest this year's oscars in terms of predicting were kind of a bit boring like nothing like in terms of winners it was very predictable come the end of the night however yes. with nominations it was kind of crazy it was, and it's, it's a lot it's, of surprises. You know, the nomination morning is always the best part, even more than than the show itself. It's the it's the best part. <laughs> well, yeah, oh well, no, I I completely agree with that. Um, I think the the most heart wrenching one for me, kind of when when you kind of go past it, I think it was when Nightmare Alley came up that I realized it it wasn't going to get. It. I think Tick Tick Boom is probably like the 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 most upsetting one to me. And it almost makes no sense to me, the fact that it then also got a surprise nomination editing and then, then still goes on to miss. It wasn't, I don't think the editing surprise was too, or nomination was too much of a surprise, but it was definitely on the cusp. It was definitely in like the five or 11, six exchangeable. 11, 12, 13, yeah, it was just like so close in there. Moving on to what's probably my favorite film this year so far i mean probably says a lot about me this but talk on maverick i liked it <laughs> i liked it a lot i saw um i will say i did i did have a night of clubbing then it was my birthday then i went and saw it so maybe i was just in the perfect mood for it because it, like, it is that type of film you want if you're watching it in a good mood you're gonna love it and that's a hundred percent okay i think that's I, I, that's the reason why going to the movies is so fucking great yeah because it 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 does feel like an event it feels like like a moment uh and i i i liked it a lot i i might have even loved a lot of parts of it um where i think it fits in the oscar conversation though i am not, i'm not in the same boat as a lot of people that were like oh this is of course getting a best picture nomination I get the in, I get like when you hear people talk about it, I understand the incentive behind it in terms of like you know, it was an unexpected hit. It's only the second film during the pandemic to make over a billion dollars and all that lot. I, I, I'd like it to happen, but I don't think it will. I, I, I think I think it's almost going to be the exact same as No Time to Die. I think it's going to get like sound visual effects song. Maybe yeah, no, the song I, I, It could be I, I the think... exact same. I think it could get a little bit more. I think it could get film editing. Um, obviously, if sound was two categories again, it would get both to get in to, for a nomination. Um, I, I mean, at this point, yeah, I do feel like it's only a technical player and even on a slightly lower level. Um, it might even get... Yeah, I think it. Yeah, I think it'll play closer to No Time to Die than something like Skyfall, which obviously got very close to a Best Picture nomination. Breaks my heart uh, that it didn't. Breaks my break, breaks my heart. 
it had acting nominations at BAFTA and SAG. So it's just like, it was a very close to a lot of things. It's not really going to happen with Top Gun. I mean, I should probably, I should probably add, I am very biased when it comes to Bond, but like, yeah, that was pretty heart-wrenching one for me. Um, do you think Lady Gaga could get a second song with? It's, of all things to be early on in predictions, original song is one of the earliest really to kind of be able to suss out. I don't, I don't feel like that's the case. It was not um, a very successful song, despite, you know, the movie being such a success. They did play it the other day at work and I was like, oh, hold on a moment. I was like, they've updated the playlist. No, I've definitely heard it you know, outside of the film, but it's, uh, I mean, just chart wise, it's, it's, it hasn't done great. I'm surprised it hasn't been more successful to be honest, considering Lady uh, Me Gaga. too. I'm shocked. I'm actually shocked by that. I, I mean, I, I've got to say, I, I, I will stand by anything Gaga does. I think she's a fucking queen. I literally, I, yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I just don't get it. Like, it's Lady Gaga attached to a film. It's not like it's a bad song or anything. It's very similar to other songs she's done that have been successful. I don't kind of get what happened there. And especially considering Top Gun's in a successful film as well. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a little surprised by its lack of success. I figured it to be just, I mean, like a number one hit and no question about that. But it didn't really... It didn't really play out that way for it. It didn't even do as well as the song from the first Top Gun. Which what was the song from the first Top Gun? Take my breath away. Is that a direct? Is that the Diane? Did Diane Warren write that song or my? No, that's it? Berlin. Was the Wait. band? Berlin. Oh okay. Oh, never mind. Um. Oh no, I'm thinking of the wrong playing film. It wasn't it like How Do I Live or something? Yeah, Con Air. Con Air was, was, was her was her plain song. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she'd love to know that's what we're calling it. A <laughs> <Her> plain song. <laughs> For fuck's sakes. Um, with original song though, it's original song is always a pain in the ass because you can't properly start predicting it until like almost like December, January time, because obviously movie, like there are movies that could be coming out in two months time, which still might not have an original song to it. And then maybe, or, you know, a film like Babylon, which could have an original song, but we won't know about that. Or they may not even know that they're going to have an original song until come December. Absolutely that. Uh, and, and that's why a lot of times if anyone is doing like original song predictions at this time of year, it's like, here's the movie title and like to be announced. Because yeah. you, you don't even know the songs that are coming out in a movie yet. Uh, and then look what happened with Encanto last year, where the song that won was the only one submitted, even though a whole nother song was the massive hit. Look, I will, uh, look, Eric, how could Disney be so stupid? What were they thinking when they didn't submit We Don't Talk About Bruno? Like, what, like, if that song got so submitted, I'm, I, I, I'd like to say it had a good shot of winning. It was a major cock up, for sure. Uh, because they could have submitted both and they both would have gotten in. Why didn't they? I don't get why they didn't. (laughs) I think they got scared because the rules for song are becoming a little stricter and you can only submit, you know, three. Um, So I think they were, I think they were just a little worried, but also too, you know, we don't talk about Bruno is the lighter and kind of 
funner and jazzier song. So it probably felt a little too, I don't know. Juvenile, childish, maybe. Yeah, like, yeah. But, but look what happened. Like the biggest, it was a bigger hit than, than Frozen. It literally got performed at the Oscars when it wasn't even nominated. Like, <laughs> Which was one of the worst things the Oscars have ever it done. Was, the pandering I, of that was ridiculous. What, what, I it it's almost a slap in the face to the, all the other nominees and anybody who was snubbed to be like, well, we're, we're, you know, we're still going to play this song. And it was also a terrible version of it. It was awful, weren't it? For well, for one, mm-hmm. the cast only sang like one verse together, and then did you hear? The, wasn't it Megan Thee Stallion? It was the yes, cring- the cringiest rap ever. I hated it. It was like, oh, I love God. her, but it was bad. It was fucking bad. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. I remember what that's just like. not knowing what you have when you have it. Literally, I mean, I, I I get the thought. Like, obviously, the Oscars won up their ratings. It's a very successful song, but like Jug, sometimes you just had to say no to certain ideas. Like, you just, 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 you should, just why did they do that? <laughs> I'm, 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 I, like I said, it would have gotten in had they submitted it. It would have gotten in. Yeah, I mean, with original song though, it's almost kind of amazing. I. But I don't know about you. I I've heard other people argue this. Other people argue for and against it. With best original song, I almost feel like it shouldn't be a category because to me, winning an Oscar should be something meaningful. And the people that win are the people that make the music and the people that write the lyrics. There are some people who have like written a song, who's very good songs, very and for very talented writers who can write a song in an hour and then and then that's it. And I don't feel like an Oscar should be an hour's work if you get what I mean. I, I get what you mean, but I think the, the issue with the category is that it's a very, very dated category. And yeah. it, it existed in its most popular time when we had musicals, original musicals all the time. True. And that's kind of what it was for. It wasn't for what happens a lot now, which is we're going to tack a original song on the end credits to qualify. That's, exactly. that's something I'm not a really big fan of. And that's a bullshitty thing. And, yeah. and, I, and I hate it because that, let's just say now, Fight For You was a, is a really good song and it's one of the most like outstanding wins I've ever I mean, no one's expecting that, were they? Um, it was not on a lot of top predictions. No, it was not. No, completely. Like, if you bet, let's put it like this: if you were betting money on it, you would have got a lot back. It wasn't very high up there. <laughs> I think. I think a lot of people had it like top three, but uh, like at number three. Um, but yeah, it wasn't. It was not a. Yeah, it was not a heavily predicted pick. That's a funny category if you um, are not a massive favorite already. And I love the song, but. It's almost like such a bullshitty win because I just, I absolutely detest this idea that you can just write a song and then like add it to the end credits and then win an Oscar for it. I, 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 I hate it. Like it makes me feel like gross. Like I'm not a fan. No, I'm not a fan of the, of the end credits song uh, winning at all. Like I look at all of the nominees this year for original song and I don't want that they're good songs and there's nothing against the people that wrote or wrote them or anything like that. But I don't feel like any of them are deserving because I feel like the best song should be for a film that like uses music 
in a particular way like last year i know it was kind of viewed as a joke but i think we look back at it in hindsight and kind of see it for what it kind of see it how it is i think hoosafic was probably the most deserving best original song winner in a long time 100 percent. it was the whole purpose of it and it was a central narrative point of the film it's mm-hmm. it's the kind of the reason that that category exists do you just kind of thinking about it do you feel like there's are there any kind of categories missing from the oscars in your opinion you know i'm um i'm sort of in the middle between i think x award show needs more categories and i think x show needs to reduce the number of categories that they have um i think the oscars as as willing as they are to expand their membership base and broaden what they consider to be an Oscar-worthy film, uh, should have more than enough room to increase the categories that they have. I know everybody wants a stunt category. That's what uh, I'm thinking. I know everybody does. I'm, I'm like not super high on that. And it's so funny that SAG did it before the Oscars, considering they have such a limited number of categories. Yeah. Um, if you don't think, mind me asking, why is it that you're not entirely for a stunt category? I think because it it's a category that is really limited to a small smaller number of films and types of films. Um, so I, I think I think it would be a little just too populist. Okay. It would because it'd only be you know action, sci-fi stuff like that. That's kind of what it's there for. In a way, though, maybe isn't that a good thing because like it's representation for like these type of films that maybe wouldn't get nominated anywhere else. But not only that, though, it's not like I mean we're gonna forget about the time the Oscar did. Do you remember? I, I, they're lucky people have forgotten about this much as they can, but I'm going to bring it up. Do you remember when they did the whole popular film thing? Of course I do. What the fuck was that all about? Well, and thankfully, they announced the plan to do it early enough that they got the response back and they stopped it. Because I think they announced that in August and the response was horrible. And they said, no, all right, we're not actually going to do that and we're not going to vote on it and anything like that. But just this last season, when they did the whole, you know, fan favorite and cheer moment garbage bullshit, they announced it so late that there was really no, they were not going to pull back from it. And it blew up in their faces and it was an absolute fucking disaster. Do you think next year we'll be back to every single category being live again? No, I don't. Oh, mm, that makes me I sad. What, nope. what does make you say that? Um, Because... All they needed was a ratings uptick to justify keeping those categories off of the air, even though anybody with an honest eye knows that it went up because of the difference between the pandemic year and the expanded post-pandemic year. Because it it just annoys me because I get the whole point is it allows more like it it makes it shorter and everything because it makes it a bit more commercial but 
there are ways they could cut down and then still get these categories in. And I think it's such a kind of, oh, I don't know how to put it. It's just a bit of a cunty thing to do, basically, like being like taking that respect away from these people. Like, I, obviously, I get if you're nominated for an Oscar and obviously I don't expect, especially in these small categories, any of these people to really fight back and expect to get anywhere. But I'd be pretty upset if I like worked in visual effects or score and then I was like told that I wasn't viewed in the same way as these people, because obviously there are higher up categories. But really, when we think about it everything has to come together perfectly in a film to make a movie great. It's the greatest dumb irony of the Academy to remove the categories that are often the biggest films of the year. Look what happened with Dune. Most of its categories were off air before the show started, which if they really want to be about gaining uh, viewers and having popular films and box office films nominated, then don't take away the categories where they're going to win. Yeah, the, the, yeah, there's also that, isn't there? Yeah, it's, and like it's ridiculous. I don't know if you know, but obviously the way they edited it in the Oscars, it was just like a female commentator that we've been hearing for years. And then, but do you, do you by any chance know who that lady is? You know, like, you know, I am your Oscars voice. Like, who is that? I feel stupid because I I don't off off the top of my head no. I'm surprised. I should. I almost thought you'd be like Facebook friends of her or something. No, I feel like I should. I feel like I should. But, no. but like, did they even like get like the same kind of like like respect as like the others in terms of like did they even have, they have like that? I don't think they had like even like an official presenter, did they? No, it was like a whole one hour before the televised broadcast. And it, and it was, was annoying a, it because was a, we, we knew the winners before the ceremony. Exactly, because they, they were all announced anyway. Um, but it was like a normal, it was like a normal Oscars for them, just not televised. There were people in the audience, not as many, because some of them were on the red carpet. Yeah. Uh, they chose, the choosing to do it during the red carpet when all of, the A-list and above the line stars were going to be there. I know in their minds, they were thinking this is the perfect time to do it because the only people that are going to be in there are going to be the below the line and tech people and those nominees anyway. But again, that was like an, an, a, just a continued slap in the face of the people that are behind those actors and those directors and those A-listers. It was horrible. Are you, I guess this kind of leans into the question of, are you scared about kind of within the next five years? I, I don't think we're ever going to say completely goodbye to the Oscars and the Academy, but do you worry that it's going to kind of change in some way? Like, I, I can't see it being online TV for that much longer. So ABC has them until 2028, which is a long goddamn time. That's five more years of dwindling oh, ratings. Um, and once that, once that is up, I don't see them renewing that at all because it's not a moneymaker for them. So they're going to have to figure something else out, but that's the weird thing is that the Oscars are one of the biggest moneymakers for the television Academy, the ad revenue they make during the commercials funds, the tele or the television, sorry, the film Academy uh throughout the year whether it's 
the museum uh, or anything else that, that they do. So they're gonna have to find somebody that can pay and wants to pay enough to do that. And I definitely, I guess, worry might not be the right word, but I worry that it will just go to a streamer. I do not want it to go to Netflix because if Netflix buys the Oscars and then cannot win an Oscar from it, they're going to look terrible. Well, exactly. And not only that, though, but I think it's unfair and almost like a bias. And then it will create so many issues if, then net, if the Oscars then had to get kind of signed on to like some i think it's kind of good that we have abc because they're not they're not any they're not like a film production if you get what i mean so but they're disney they're disney so no they they still are oh yeah no i i'm I'm just been a bit fucking dumb there like (laughs) about that but i mean of, of all networks they're probably the worst because they they are so huge. NBC also, I mean, that's Universal, Comcast. It's it's all of that, and that's that's kind of what you run into is that there 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 isn't really a home for it that isn't impacted by a bigger parent company. Do you think and, voting bias and like voting fraud is still something that goes on then? I don't think voting fraud happens, but I think voting bias happens with or can happen within sections of the academy that are specific to uh to their group like the executives or members at large but even producers too yeah but i mean but it's is is it is it bias i don't it's not fraud but is it bias to vote for your friends yeah it is but mm. when you're talking about Oscars, I mean, because I, I talk about the importance of Oscars all the time because I, I don't think they're frivolous. I think they're super important in the, the construct of, uh, of, of art and media in society and how I've we had this argument with, I've had this argument with so many people because I think a lot yeah. of people, uh, to honest, most of the time when I bring up with people, <laughs> I remember once my girlfriend called them the shitty awards, but there's so much more than that like i think people forget that winning an oscar it means so much just so many people involved and it can do so much for people even when it comes down to the individual like personal lives like winning an oscar for like an actress or an actor can mean more money like better roles like you know it 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 can like i think people forget when someone wins an oscar they're not just like thinking oh my god i've just won this thing they're thinking shit i'm in for a good life now well, but that's also too why, you know, televising all of them is really important because if you eliminate the the shorts and documentary things, that's where a lot of people begin their careers. And and you can see you can see visibility and representation in these wins that can be very inspiring. And you don't have to be inspired to be a, a filmmaker to be inspired by it. You can just see somebody that looks like you or talks like you or acts like you and go oh my gosh i can i can see myself for the first time in some type of context so there there is a level of value maybe not importance but certainly value i'm gonna move on to like the final movie before we wrap this up but i've been uh focusing a lot on this and he's saying now i'm loving the nails dude oh thank you 
Or is that like a pride thing or just you decide to No, do I've just been pretty obsessed with with colors now. Mm-hmm. Um so I've gone through yeah, I, I this might be the last day of this orange. I think I'm going to do green tomorrow. Well, cool. Just, it's just fun. I've been getting really into like kind of the I mean, I spend so much like of my life, you know, trying to be like a proper like, you know, man, but <laughs> Eventually, you realize it's not worth it. And honestly, I've always fucking loved pink, and that's what I wear now these days. It's like I'm not gay. Like it's like I'm not, you know, not nothing wrong with it. But it doesn't even have to be a gay. I just if you like something, fucking own it. Like, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's good that... for your skin tone. I mean, why would you not want to wear something that's complimentary to your skin tone? Mm, thank you very much. That's just a that's just a great thing. Period. Regardless of who you are. Well, yeah, exactly that. And it's like you can be the manliest guy in the world, but if you like makeup, then like just for you know wear makeup. Mm-hmm. I'm going to Pride this week because um it's a little bit late in um in in this, this part of the UK in um, Bournemouth, and I'm well excited to go. Oh, that's right, because I mean, US Pride was last month, uh, and then wasn't Pride in it was it was it in London last week or this yes, weekend? Yes, it was. Yeah. yeah. I interviewed one of the I the Heartstopper cast, and like the next day they were like Pride. And I was like, "Oh, I know that." I know what? Yeah. Oh my god. Um, I'll tell you um, an interesting story. Actually, um, have you seen Heartstopper? Of course. There was a bit. <laughs> there was a bit in it where they're <laughs> at a bowling alley. That's 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 where I work. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. Got um, it. Yeah, okay. I wasn't. I wasn't there, but my my boss was there that day. So um, it's like it's kind of like really weird how I have this like kind of complete connection to them all that's delightful yes it's cool sweet anyway (laughs) um going into the final film it's 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 a movie that for some reason a lot of people do like i I think a lot of people like respect his energy i fucking hated it and i really hope to see it get no nominations come the end of the day but i'm a little bit scared that it could be a bohemian rhapsody and that's elvis oh i loved elvis (laughs) oh did you (laughs) I'm glad you did, mate, because I've never been more bored in my life. Oh, I liked it. I liked I it. I really lot. liked I really liked the first 15 minutes when it was like really like aggressively fast and like like When it was everything. very Buzz Lerman. And then it kind of stopped being Buzz Lerman, and that's when I started to dislike it. That's that's fair because it's it is one of his films that it does um it does lose the momentum and the the buzz of it all um, by being two hours and 40 minutes. You could have trimmed a whole lot of it and kept the energy up a little bit more. Way, um, way shorter. Way shorter. Yeah. Jesus no, Christ. I, I do not I, need I, two hours and 40 minutes of Elvis in I, my life. I don't disagree. And there are a lot of things that I did not like about it. Um, and it was funny because the more I've talked about it, the less I like it. Um, but there were so many things that I loved. I think Austin Butler was fucking incredible. He was. And the pro- That's the one thing I hope that it gets in. The production value from Catherine Martin, second to none. Absolutely. Costumes, production design, second to none. So kind of where do you stand then in terms of the Oscars? How do you think it will perform? I still have Butler at number six. Um, it's a relatively good size hit. It's getting there. Um, I think I said in in one of my write-ups, it's got to be more than Rocket Man, but it doesn't have to be Bohemian Rhapsody. But I think it's going to end pretty close to Rocket Man, and if that's the case, he's probably not getting in. 
It's probably not. That being said, though, Taron Egerton for one was amazing. I don't understand how the year after. That's a whole other podcast and conversation because he should have won. He should have won. And I think it's weird how the year after Manic wins, he then doesn't even get nominated. But like you say, that's like, you know, we've been going on to sidetrack loads. We don't need another hour and a half in our life to talk about that. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'm. it's weird because on one hand, I want to be like, yes, Austin Butler's getting in. Like maybe he could win. But then I'm also like, well, I don't know. He'll win the Globe. Yeah, we'll win the Globe. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, no, because it's, it is a musical biopic, and they their their rules are well. I mean, whatever the Golden Globes end up being, if anything, it's a musical drama. If 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 the songs that you're singing are not like the narrative of the film, you can't get in any. You can't get in for that anymore. You you can't get in for a musical biopic. You're in drama. You're not in and to be comedy. F- and to be fair, that is rightly so because it's that's what it should it. be. It's what it always was. And again, the purpose of that category was because of musicals. Uh, so yeah, no musical biopics that are dramas where someone's just singing the songs of another person or lip syncing. No. To be fair, even if he isn't in drama. I almost felt like he could win in drama actor because that, that it does seem like a very globesy thing to do. Hmm. To be honest, when I when I look and think about Elvis, I feel like it will even if it gets zero Oscar nominations come the end of the day. I feel like it'd be the type of shit that like the Golden Globes just proper like eat up. I, I can see it getting like it, I could see them going like crazy, like you know, like picture actor, like director, maybe even like some sort of like supporting actress surprise. I don't know. Hanks, maybe, but I don't know. That's I'm not. Mm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't feel too high on it. Not as a summer film. No. And this is the thing, though. I don't understand because it's a type of film that, and this is this is something I also don't get. This is obviously something that they'd want to be a big awards juggernaut. So why are they releasing it in June? I mean, that's a good question because they don't have a whole lot as a as awards films but i think they you know i think they were looking to hopefully capitalize on it being a box office hit it's warner brothers so they have a 45 day window before it goes to hbo max uh so i think they just wanted to get as much as they could during the the summer because if it came out in like november december it'd be a completely different conversation we're having now but a film like elvis just won't have the legs it needs to get to the oscars it might not in the way that, you know, something like Everything Everywhere uh, will. But again, we're talking about a two hour and 40 minute movie. And you're, you're going to put that at the end of the year when, when voters are being hit with all of these awards season movies. It's, that's gonna be, it's not going to be super easy to be like, yes, I can carve out three hours of my day of watching 10 movies <laughs> for this. That is, that is true. But yeah, that's actually, <laughs> that's actually a really good way of looking at it. I guess, where do you stand with Tom Hanks and Elvis then? I try and stand as far away as possible. You're not a fan? I will say that I liked him better than I did in the trailers, but I was not a fan of, of the unreliable narrator uh, device of using him to tell the story. Was not a fan of that. Mm-hmm. But not he's only, fine. 
she was alright in it. I don't think it's Oscar worthy. Not only that though, but it's kind of weird to see Tom Hanks in that type of performance as well. It was. I mean, I thought Cloud Atlas would probably be the kind of wildest thing that he has done. This feels like something else entirely. It does, yeah. I guess I'm going to kind of like wrap things up, but I just want to ask you one more question before you go. Say if like everything that you've ever loved in, in your life is on the line and you've got you've got to try and guess and just hope that you're right, like million dollar question. If you had to choose right now, what would you put as number one for best picture? Um... Well, I mean, the best thing I can say is... I instantly see the screen light up on your face. Is like the, yeah, is the thing that I have right now. Um, and that's The Fablemans. The Steven Spielberg wow. semi-autobiographical movie. Genuinely surprised to hear that. Because Steven Spielberg's really good at getting Best Picture nominations, but never coming close to winning. Yeah, I mean, you know, not not for a while. <laughs> I mean, obviously, so I, you know, I, that, that I'm sure that has to change at some point, but like when that'll be, I don't know. Maybe I mean, it's been a long time since we saw like a big director film with Best Picture. I think, you know, I mean, it's it's funny because a lot of the things that I have in my in my topics are Spielberg and Scorsese and uh, uh, Inuritu and these these people that have huge Oscar histories. So. I like I said before every year is its own year this year could be I mean we're also going to have James Cameron we're going to have a lot of previous winners and 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 people in the running this year they could they could really power through a lot of the other possibilities and 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 give people this sense of not nostalgia exactly but here are people that we know, love, are familiar with, uh, were mentors uh, that inspired us as filmmakers. And that works for new voters that are thinking like, oh my God, Spielberg is somebody whose career I've followed my entire life. And there's just, there's an endless number of scenarios in which, you know, one of these big names can, can win. So for the moment, that's what I'm going with. At the moment, I'm going with, and I know it's a pretty obvious choice, I'm going with Babylon. I feel like that could really be something. And that's probably, I think Babylon and Blonde are my two most anticipated to see for the next year. Yeah, I'm extremely uh, anticipating Blonde in a, in, a, in a big way. It's, I'm, I'm curious to see what the NC-17 rating is all about. I'm a little... Not confused, but yeah, I'm a little confused by it because the rating itself is just some sexual content. That's it. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And the the book has a tr has a tremendous amount of sexual violence and gore, and I'm surprised by the NC-17 more because of the reason for it. Didn't seem like enough. What do you mean? I mean, the the phrasing and the wording is only some sexual content, which is pretty tame. It's extremely vague, isn't it? It is, because when you have something that is a, like a hard R, it's like graphic nudity and, you know, disturbing images. And these are all things that I expected to be 
as a part of the rating for Blonde, especially if you're getting an NC-17. Well, NC-17 is a really rare rating, isn't it? For it is, but I think at this point, Netflix wanted that because it's going to be a part of the conversation. I'd almost heard opposites, though. I'd heard from sources that like Netflix were like mad about the fact that it was NC-17, like they've ruined it, like this is not what we wanted. It's a, it's a streaming film. It will have... I mean, I do think... You know, it does seem like Netflix is going to expand its theatrical runs for some films. Uh, like the Inuritu uh, film Bardo, I think, is getting 45 days before it's uh, streaming, which is kind of that 45 number has become like a uh, a number now. Do you think times have changed, though? I think we've spoken about this before, but do you think Blonde could? end up getting like oh i don't think it'll be like a massive awards player but do you think it could get like best actress maybe uh i think the armist has to be yeah in consideration she's not in my top five but she looks like she's just gonna be so good that i don't understand even if it's nc-17 how you ignore it you know i think that's kind of what happened with kristen stewart and spencer last year yeah where people were absolutely ready to not take it seriously or her seriously and then they saw it and realized that they had to and they did well eric i could i'd literally happily go on with you all night until my next shift at work but you know (laughs) all good things must come to them but seriously mate thank you so much for featuring it's my pleasure always absolute blast mate thank you very much